Thank you, Jason. Thank you, thank you. Good to be with you. How you doing? It's great. Yeah, I know we're back in Sullivan. Second week here. Amen. Hey, kiddo. As Jason said, I'm John McGill. I serve as the associate pastor here at Park Community Church, Rogers Park. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to be with you, kiddos. We're going to have a lively service. Great to be worshiping with you. And we've now come to the conclusion of the psalm series that we've been in since June with Psalm 36, as Pastor Jason had mentioned. Next week, we'll be moving on to a new series. Jason is going to mention that. But remember again, the Psalms is a collection of 150 songs, prayers, poems, written by a bunch of different authors, about half of them by King David. Some of them are praises to God and his majesty. Some of them are laments, asking God for help. Some of them are simply rejoicing in the things that God has done. And today, as we delve into Psalm 36, we are going to learn a little bit more about who our God is. And it's a psalm of confidence in our Lord and a desire for more of him. And it's also a psalm of contrast. We're, uh, as we delve into the text, we're, we're, going to, uh, we're going to see some contrasts and opposites. And to prepare ourselves for some of these contrasts and opposites, I have a very, very simple exercise for all of you, kids involved as well, to engage in. I am going to say something, and then I'm going to ask you to state the opposite. So when I say up, you say down. When I say left, you say Yes, right, right, correct. Very good, very simple. When I say near, you say. When I say big, you say. When I say hot, you say. When I say closed, you say. All right, opposites, opposites. We, we know how to do this. Awesome. When I say less, you say more. Awesome. This is a large, that's a large portion of today's psalm. God inspiring David to write about contrasts and opposites. And one of the opposites portrayed in Psalms 36 is this. Wanting less of God versus wanting more of God. So let's dig into the text, and I am going to ask everyone to stand again as we stand for the reading of God's word. We'll see in the ancient notes here that this was written to the choir master, meaning some of these, this would have been set to song, and we will actually have the opportunity to sing some of these verses later. So let's dig in. Verse 1. Transgression speaks of the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and give you drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. 
There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you again for your word today, giving us this time to open up your word, Father, to take from it what it is that you want want us to take. And I pray, Father, that that would be the case, that those words that I speak that are of you, Father, that those would dwell in our hearts richly, us adults, us kids, Father, that we may know how to apply them to our lives, that we may give you all the glory, and we may be conformed more into the likeness of Jesus. It's in your precious Son's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so if there's, if there's one thing that I would like for you to take from this message today, it is simply this. The people of God desire more of God. Simple as that. The people of God desire more of God. The people of God, meaning those of us who believe, those of us who are followers of Christ, we desire more of God. And we're going to look at the psalm in three parts. In the first part, we see the psalmist David talking about the wicked. And the wicked are people that want less of God. But next, we find David describing God, and the mood shifts dramatically. And at the last part, we then see, find, we find David making a request to God. So, let's dig into verses 1 through 4, where David begins to talk about the wicked. The wicked want less of God in their lives. David is talking about people that act like they are the center of the universe. Maybe this is, you know, let me just state it right off the bat. Maybe this is hitting a nerve because I kind of hurt myself in there sometimes. David is talking about people that are, see themselves as the center of the universe. Here's a picture of the universe, at least a portion of it. And by the way, you may have heard of the, the James Webb Telescope that uh, you may have caught the headline. That's that new telescope and catch all the distant planets and solar systems and galaxies. Very remarkable. Well, David spends some time characterizing the wicked. The wicked like to put themselves right at the center of this picture. And what do I mean? I mean they go about life in a way that has the world, the universe revolving around them. They set their own standards. They determine what is right and wrong. And they especially do not care about what God has to say. Verse 1, we read, Transgression, or wrongdoing, or rebellion, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. The wicked like doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Notice this word, deep in their hearts. Basically, evil is pervading through the wicked's lives. And David goes on and describes a downward spiral. Furthermore, in verse 1, he also says, the wicked have no fear in God. And let me ask you this, what is fear of God? Fear of God, in one large form, is giving God the proper respect and reverence that he deserves. Let's say, for instance, we, had, we invited a World War II veteran up on stage to regale us of his time out in Europe or the Pacific, talked about the sacrifices that he made for the country and so forth. We might be compelled to give him a standing ovation because that is the right thing to do. But we would also not want to disrespect him. We might be afraid of disrespecting him. And if we did that, we would want to go up to him and say, hey, did I disrespect you? I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me 
in the hopes that he would say, I forgive you. But the wicked, they are not afraid of that kind of thing. They don't care about how they treat or think about others. And the wicked also do not care about giving proper respect and reverence to God. And in verse 2, the spiral continues. For the wicked flatters himself in his own eyes. Who's this person up on the screen? The Snow Queen, right? Those of you that are familiar with this 1937 cartoon, I know. Maybe a little bit before our kids' time, a little bit before all of our time, right? The Snow Queen. Finish the sentence for me. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Okay, we are familiar with it. Yes, this, this is the Snow Queen from Snow White. And she likes to flatter herself. She is a jealous person. She likes to go before the mirror day in and day out and say, Mirror, mirror, who is the prettiest lady in all the land? And she likes to do that day after day. Self-flattery. But what happens when she finds out that she is no longer the prettiest girl in town? She finds out Snow White is. Whatever that means. Beauty's in the the eye of the beholder, right? Well, she wants Snow White dead, right? That's the nature of her heart. We see that in self-flattery. Now, who's this person? Gaston, right? From Beauty and the Beast. Again, self-flattery. One of his favorite things to do is to go in in town and talk about how intelligent and how strong he is. And one thing that he likes doing more than that is telling himself these things. And he wanted to kill the lonely beast as well. And that was the nature of Gaston's heart. That's not good. Props to Bell for seeing through his self-flattery and rejecting his advances. Now here's the real problem with self-flattery. The self-flatterer says, I am so good in this way and that way. And those things that the self-flatterer thinks make them look so good become bigger and bigger in their eyes to the point where they can no longer see the other places where they're missing the mark. The self-flatterer says, I'm so good that basically any misstep that I've made really doesn't matter because I'm the one who sets the pace. And what a misstep that is. And in actuality, it's actually a really sneaky way of hiding wrongdoing, self-flattery. All right, who's this person? Ursula, the sea witch. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. She's plotting her way to take over the ocean. She lies and lies and lies to capture her victims, to capture Ariel, so that she can take over the underwater kingdom and so forth. Who's this person? Cinderella's stepmother. Second part, verse 4. He plots trouble while on his or her bed. Here we find Cinderella's stepmom comfortable in bed, and all she's thinking about is how she can abuse and overwork her stepdaughter, Cinderella. It should be a red flag that she named her cat Lucifer. (laughs) Now here, the illustration David provides is the wicked 
lies in his bed, thinks about all the bad things he'd like to do, either that night or the next day or the next season, and enjoys thinking about these wrongdoings. Why does Paul say, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil? Why does he say that in in Ephesians 4? It's because if someone, if one of us finds ourselves thinking night after night about wrongdoing, eventually, if we're not not already there, those things become more and more acceptable to us. The wicked person is asking, when can I sin next? He is looking for trouble. He is looking to himself and not to God. There's another opposite. He does not pray. Maybe we have gone to bed at times thinking about how we can get this person back, how we can take something that we're not supposed to take, how we can be mean to someone just to get a laugh from our friends. In those instances, we are not rejecting evil, and the wicked have a problem with rejecting evil. We do not want to be in the category of the wicked. Now it's at this point, we've concluded verse 4, we move on to verse 5. David the psalmist here wants to, make, wants to make a very dramatic shift in his thoughts. He's tired about talking about the wicked in this instance, and he wants to immediately focus on the opposite of the wicked. Whereas the wicked want less of God because God messes up the wicked's destructive plans, David wants to focus on having more of God. Verse 5, let's go back to that picture of space. Whereas the wicked see themselves as as a point in the center of the universe, David sees God present in every square inch of the universe. And David loves talking about God. What does David say about God? David gives us some great imagery to understand who God is. He looks up at the sky and declares, your steadfast love extends to the heavens. That's the Milky Way there. Second part of verse 5, he says, your faithfulness to the clouds. Verse 6, your righteousness to the mountains. Second part of verse 6, your judgments are like the great deep. God's steadfastness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his perfect judgment. David sees the greatness of God, the perfection of God, as spanning from top to bottom, all the way to the heavens, down, to way, down all the way to the ocean deep. That's how David thinks about God's expansive, steadfast love toward him and those who believe. And David marvels at God's steadfast love. He says it's precious. He says it's valuable. He says, verse 7, The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. What do we have here? We have a picture of a mama bird taking care of the baby birds. If you are a baby bird in this world, There is no safer place to be than under the protective wing of your mother. What an awesome way to understand who our God is. Isn't it great that he inspired the psalmist to write about himself this way? And we see this imagery a few other times in the psalms as well. There's no safer place in the world for us to be than under the protective care of God's wings. And we can take the language of the psalmist 
and understand God to be this type of caring father to us as well. No matter what we face, no matter what challenges, no matter how daunting the next season of, the, of work looks like, no matter what those bullies said to you out in the playground, how am I going to get through this pain? How am I going to take care of my finances? How will I provide for my family? How will I love my neighbors well when I misstep? We have an ultimate parent who wants to guide us, who wants to heal us, who wants to protect us. We have a God who cares for us deeply. And God loves to provide abundantly. Verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. I love big feasts. Most of us love big feasts. In fact, we're also going to have a, a second of five after service big feasts uh, right after service here in the cafeteria. We're, we're grilling, we're cooking out. Stick around for that. We've brought con- con- plenty of hot dogs and hamburgers and so forth. And Kids, kids, I've got a question for you. I've got a question for you. Kids. Who here has a favorite food? What is your favorite food? Go ahead, shout it out. Pizza. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I, I, heard, I, I heard fruit snacks, I heard pizza. A- any others out there? S- steak, steak. I asked the kids, right. Jason alone, love it. All right. I have a favorite food as well. Barbecue is my favorite food. Oh, yeah, barbecue. That is my favorite food. Yes, yes, amen. You know, when I was in the corporate world, I, I used to, when I would visit markets like, like Texas and Kansas City and Memphis and the Carolinas, I would plot out on the map all the best barbecue spots and try to fit them in my schedule because barbecue is one of my most favorite things in the world and I cannot get enough of it. And David, he uses the imagery of food, feasts, to express that he cannot get enough of God's steadfast love. All David wants is to be in God's presence. All he wants is to be with him. All he wants is to be in his house because it is there that he can experience a love that is better than any other place that us in the world can find. But David goes on, not only does he want to feast on God's presence, but he wants to drink of the he wants us to drink of the river of his delights. Now, now kids, I've got an exercise for you. I want, I want all the kids, kids please get up. Kids please get up. David, get up and make your way up to the, to the front of the stage. Don't tell your parents, but I've got juice boxes for you. I wouldn't have said that if you parents weren't in here, so not hide anything. Don't withhold anything from your parents, kiddos. Oh, oh, well, okay, let, we, you know what? Okay, well, all right, here we are. Let's, let's grab the juice boxes. Let's grab the juice boxes. Here we go. Start passing them out. All right. For us parents, this can be an image of drinking of the river of his delight. What are God's delights? It is the overflowing of God's goodness. And those of us who are believers, those of us that have Jesus in our lives, 
we cannot drink enough from the river of God's delights. What a great picture for us. Here you go. Anybody? Did you boys get one? Here you go. You got it. The people of God love to come and drink from the river of God's delights. And David ends his praise and worship of God with a very interesting verse. In your light do we see light. We could think about this verse for quite a bit. In your light do we see light. That's one to think about. Because the fact of the matter is God sheds, God's light sheds light on light. We could take that in a bunch of different good directions. But here's this. No, those of us that, who know who God is only want more of him, never less of him. We don't like to shut God out. Which takes us to the final verses where we find the psalmist making a request because he still has the wicked on his mind. David is all too familiar with the ways of the wicked. Remember, the wicked only want less of God and more of themselves, and David wants more of God. Verse 10, David says, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. And everyone, I would like all of us to repeat after me. Oh, continue your steadfast love. Those are the words of people who believe in God. Those are the words of people that have tasted his grace. Those are the words of people that have been changed by the gospel because they cannot get enough of the God of the Bible, the God who is here, the God who is everywhere. Why do the people of God want more of God? Because they know what life was like without him. David comes back to the wicked in these final verses because he sees them as a threat. He knows what the wicked are capable of. Not only do the wicked want to destroy the people of God, but the wicked are also very sneaky. And he keeps his guard up. Why does David keep his guard up? Because he knows of the wicked all too well. It wasn't hard for David to find wickedness in his own life. And someday, again, we will look at the wickedness of David's life. And the wickedness of the past is a part of every one of our stories as well. When we were once part of the wicked, we wanted less of God. And what, does, what else does wanting less of God look like? It looks like many things. What does wanting less of God look like? It, can, it has many dimensions. I'll give you one example. Let's say we turn to God and we say, God, I give all this to you. This is yours. That is yours. Everything is yours. And it looks good. It looks perfect, doesn't it? Thank you, God, for making these things right in my life. But God, I don't know if you were the author of it or not. Either way, it looks good. There is also this one portion of my life that, God, I just, I just want you to let me keep. I'm, I'm not going to surrender this, this portion of my life to you, God. 
I'm, I'm going to keep it just the way it is. It makes me happy, and I don't want to give it to you. But the fact of the matter is, God, I've already given you all these other portions of my life, so I, we're probably pretty good, right? The problem with that kind of mindset is that that puts us back into the category of the wicked. And David does not, does not want wickedness to be a part of his future story. So what does David request? Instead of the wicked driving him away, he cries out for God's steadfast love. That is his guard. That is his defense. He knows that there is no better, no safer place to be. And how is it that we can have more of God? Or God to begin with? Well, there is a way for us to have more of him. And the reality is God is the one who made the way. How did he do it? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. When Jesus came into the world, he came as the most caring, the most loving, the most gentle person to ever walk the planet. Fully God and fully man. Jesus' love, Jesus' love stretched from the heavens, the heights of heavens, all the way down to the depths of the sea. He came as God described in the Psalms. Jesus was driven by love. Jesus walked the earth loving people. Jesus died because he loved people. And when Jesus was dying, he was thinking about you because he loved you. And I mean you. He knows you better than you know yourselves. He was thinking about you. Every Christian, every follower of Christ wants more of God's love. If you feel a slight discouragement because your desire for more of God's love is small, know there is hope. All the hope that needs to be found is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through that work, God made it possible for you to have the desire for him. And if you have that, even just a, a slim, faint desire for God, know that that is God working in your life. And maybe that's an area where you can discern. If it's, it's, only, if it's only this small, you can ask, God, why is this small? Maybe it can be bigger. God, would you help me there? The people of God have Jesus. The people of God look at the way their lives used to be. They say it used to be so dark, it used to be so dim. It used to fall really well into this description of the downward spiraling wickedness. But the people of God say, God convicted my heart. God made me recognize the wrongdoings I was hiding, made me realize what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross purchased for me, and it brought me to God. And now I've tasted what God offers. And I don't have it all together yet. But God, I want you in every part of my life, and I am going to continue asking for you to help me. That is the heart of a convicted person. Don't strive for less of God. There is no point, no benefit to that. Strive for more of God. God will meet you. He is already calling you. In the book of John, we read, To those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All of us were just like the wicked. 
And we, we still have areas of work to go. We only wanted to look toward our, to our own selves, which is the opposite of looking toward God. But we no longer have to be in this pointless downward spiral of wickedness. Instead, we can come to the fountain of life, drink from it. Instead, we can quench all our thirst and we can say to God, O oh Lord, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have created this river of life that we can drink from. And Father, we do confess to you, Father. We do mess up. There were times, Father, there are times when it feels like we are in the category of the wicked. And yet, Father, in your kindness and grace, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to give us a new identity to give us a new way to live, to let us know, Father, that we can turn to you in all circumstances and you will do your work, Father, to change our lives, that we may tell that story to the watching world. So, Father, it's with a large heart for Jesus, Jesus who spans from top to bottom, all over the earth. It's him we come to you, Father, wanting more of and asking, Father, for your mighty help and the praise of your name to be known. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.